Alright, well if we take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 7. Thank you for that special. Uh, very thankful that uh, the Lord knows my name. And He will hold my hand too. Praise the Lord for that. And, uh, first two years that my parents were here in British Columbia from 2000 to 2002, we lived uh, just over here, 132nd, uh, 72nd, uh, just about probably five, seven minutes from here. And uh, we were able to start the church over there in Burnaby in 2001. And it's been a blessing to be able to come back home and visit some of the churches here in the area and see what God's doing here in uh, the great province of British Columbia, my home province. While I am American, I, I do claim British Columbia as my home. And uh, it's an encouragement to me to see uh, so many churches staying faithful to the Word of God. And in a day and age that we live in where churches are falling off by the wayside and uh, not holding to the standards and convictions found in, in the Word of God and in this book, and it's a blessing to see churches who are faithful, faithful on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I see that uh, you're a very missions-minded church. That's an encouragement to me as a young, a young person going into the ministry and seeing that a church has stayed faithful for many, many years. And that's a blessing. Acts chapter number 7 and... Verse number 54, Acts 7 and verse 54, the Bible says in Acts 7, 54, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, this is referring to Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Do I need to move this mic out of the way? No? it's good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity we have to open the Word of God tonight. Thank you so much for Grace Baptist Church and Pastor White uh, for so many years of faithfulness serving you here in uh, the city of Surrey, here in the province of British Columbia. I do pray that you bless these people for being in church tonight. And Lord, I do pray that uh, you would uh, speak through me, that you'd help me to say only what you'd have me to say. Lord, I pray that you'd bless everything that's said and done, that it would bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I went to Bible college in Santa Clara, California from 2014 to 2018. And about 30 minutes from Santa Clara is a city called Palo Alto. And if you're familiar with universities in the United States, specifically in the state of California, you'll recognize the name maybe of the city Palo Alto as it holds the University of Stanford. Stanford Cardinal, University of Stanford is there in Palo Alto, East Palo Alto. And so in June of 2017, my friends and I, we had, a, we had an opportunity on a Saturday afternoon after Solon and visitation to go to a University of Stanford Cardinal baseball game. If you know anything about uh, the United States and in certain regions of the United States, in the, uh, here on the West Coast side, the Pac-12, if you're familiar with that name, and, and then down in the southeastern portion, the Southeastern Conference, the SEC, they are very, very strong when it comes to college baseball. So I wanted to go to the University of Stanford and watch one of these games because I'd heard so much about the University of Stanford and their baseball program. And a big reason why the Stanford Cardinal baseball program has been successful, uh, at least for the past 41 years or so when I was there, was due to the manager, Mr. Mark Marquez. Mr. Marquez, 70 years old, had been the manager for 41 years at the University of Stanford Cardinal baseball program. 41 years of training the next generation of baseball players going into the major leagues. And Mr. Marquez said is one of only four NCAA D1 coaches to have over 1,600 wins in his career. Only four in the history of the NCAA baseball. 
Uh, he was a three-time coach of the year. They won back-to-back -back World Series in the 90s. He made it to the College World Series 16 times in his 41 years, and only twice in 41 years did the Stanford baseball program finish below 500. There was only twice where it would have been considered they didn't have a successful season. So here I was with a couple of my friends from college, and this was a playoff game for the Stanford Cardinal. They were playing Cal State Fullerton, which is a rival school about three hours or so away to the south. And in this particular game, at least for baseball fans, it would have been a great game. Uh, there was only, the final score was three to two. I think there was maybe seven hits. How many of you like baseball? Does anybody like baseball in here? Vancouver Canadians. Vancouver Canadians. Seattle Mariners, because they're the closest here. Blue Jays? Blue Jays fans? All right. Okay, now I know the crowd. All right. Okay, that's good. That's good. Not very many baseball fans. Hockey fans? Okay. Wow, less on hockey. Goodness sakes. We live like 30 minutes from the Canucks. Well, of course, they're not much to talk about right now. They're not much to talk about right now. But here I was, we're sitting there in this playoff game, and Stanford and Cal State Fullerton were playing, and it was the bottom of the ninth. It was 3-2 Cal State Fullerton. And the significance of this particular game was if Stanford lost, they would be eliminated. The even more significant fact was this was Mr. Marquez's last season as a manager. So whenever the season ended for Stanford, Mr. Marquez's career as a manager for the University of Stanford would cease to exist. It would be done. Stanford had first and third with one out in the bottom of the ninth, and they grounded into, yes, you guessed it, an inning-ending, game-ending double play. The game was over, therefore ending Mr. Marquez's 41-year career at the University of Stanford. Sitting one section over beside us was his family, and the place was packed, at least for the stadium size. There's about 3,500 seats, completely full, and then they have uh, grass fields on the side. Uh, where people can pay $5 to go sit on the grass and watch the game, and it's still a nice view, so there was a lot of people there. And I was thinking, you know, this is Mr. Marquez's last game. What are they going to do for their beloved manager who had done so much and invested so much time and effort into this baseball program? Mr. Marquez uh, went back to his dugout, and he was saying his final words to the players, and as I looked down to the dugout, I saw a lot of these players, these big, you know, big baseball players, that many of them were going to go to the the bigs, the major leagues, next year they were going to be drafted. And several of them were crying. And I couldn't help but think that the impact that this man must have had on some of these young men, this, this entire baseball program for 41 years, the amount of young men that must have gone through the baseball program there at Stanford. And as he made his way back out into center field to salute the fans one last time, everybody began to stand up and they began to applaud Mr. Marquette. For an incredible run of 41 years of coaching the same team, not leaving, not wavering, staying right there at the University of Stanford. And I looked over to the Cal State Fullerton side, and many fans had, had driven the three hours up to watch this game because it was a big game. It was the regionals. It was, it, was, it was pretty big. They'd go to the super regionals after this. And there was quite a few fans here from Cal State Fullerton. And can you think, 41 years, the rivalry that must have taken place between Stanford and Cal State Fullerton, similar to the Canucks and the Flames, or maybe, uh, maybe like to the Canadians and the uh, Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes just down in Oregon, at least when it comes to rivalries. And these fans, they began to stand, they began to clap for Mr. Marquez, and, and the road players came out of the dugout, and they began to clap for Mr. Marquez, and they wanted to shake his hand, and I looked up into the broadcast booth, and I saw all of the ESPN broadcasters, they were standing and clapping for Mr. Marquez. Mr. Marquez earned a standing ovation. He earned a standing ovation. And in sports and in life, there's many times, maybe whether it be in politics or like I said, in sports and in life, maybe someone 
conquers a rare disease and they're in a community setting or maybe a politician comes in, a prime minister or a president or maybe some other political officer, they'll, they'll come into a room and out of respect or maybe out of love and dignity, people will stand and they'll give them a standing ovation. And maybe in sports when a player, a famous player for a team comes back maybe to have his jersey retired and they go out to center ice or they go out to center court and drop the opening puck drop or maybe they watch as their jersey gets retired up into the rafters many times at least I would be shocked if it didn't happen, in the audience and in the stadium, the people will stand and they will clap for whoever this individual is. They'll receive a standing ovation. If you look back in Acts chapter number 7 and verse number 55, we see someone else is receiving a standing ovation. Look at what it says in verse number 55, but he, this is referring to Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now this message, if you're familiar with Acts chapter number 7, this message that Stephen had just finished preaching, it's one of the most powerful sermons in the entire Bible. And quite possibly, it, I mean, it's up there with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount for it being so powerful and, and full of truths. And, and we'll talk about it in a moment uh, in, in the outline that just... This message that Stephen was very direct to the point. The message that he was given was very direct. God had given Stephen a message to declare. and It was a very powerful message. It was a very convicting message. And it obviously cut to the heart of the people. Look at what it says there in verse number 54 that we read it. They said, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were so angry and so convicted at this message that Stephen was preaching that they began to grind their teeth and, and rush on Stephen because they were so mad at him. But look at the phrase in verse number 55. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Stephen earned a standing ovation. What was Stephen doing so well that he earned a standing ovation from the very Son of God? The very one who came and died on the cross for his sin and the sins of all those that were listening to this particular message. Number one, if you're taking an outline tonight. Number one, Stephen's message earned a standing ovation. Stephen's message earned a standing ovation. Look back at the beginning of Acts chapter number 7, verse number 2. The Bible says, and he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. You see, Stephen wanted these people to realize right at the beginning of this message that this particular message that he was about to preach deserved their attention. He says, men, brethren, fathers, hearken. That means, hey, listen up. Listen to what I'm about to preach. Listen to what I'm about to say. And, and this message, you need to hear it. There comes a specific time in our lives where the message just needs to be preached. It just needs to be declared. And, and that message, I mean, th there's so many different verses you could choose in this book of, of it being maybe the Christian's life message. But I think specifically of John chapter number 3, verse number 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a message we have to preach as Christians. And Stephen's message earned a standing ovation. If you look through this chapter and, and the, the verses that, 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 that you can read in chapter number 7 and the things that, that, that Stephen is saying, look at verse number 51. He says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. I mean, Stephen is calling these people out and calling out these people's parents. 
And if you look at the passage, and maybe if you can read it this week in your own time, Stephen goes back to the Old Testament when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and the people who murmured against Moses and Aaron caused the children of Israel to have to wander for 40 more years in the wilderness. And so Stephen's calling them out. He says, hey, those were your fathers who did that. And some of the people who were in the audience now listening to Stephen's message were the very ones several chapters, uh, not, not in chronological timeline in the Bible, but several chapters earlier were chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And he's saying, just as your fathers murmured against the man of God, y'all murmured against the man of God too. You resisted the Holy Ghost, as he says. This message that Stephen preached, it was honest. It was clear. Stephen didn't pull any punches. It's not like he was worried about maybe, maybe they're going to be offended at what I say or maybe, maybe I shouldn't say this or maybe I'll step on some toes here. Turn over to Acts chapter number 28. Acts chapter number 28, just about 21 chapters in the future there in, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 28. We'll read one verse. Acts 28 verse 31. How can we earn a standing ovation from Jesus? What is our message like? Verse 31 of Acts 28 says, Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this prepositional phrase. It's, it really sums up everything. With all confidence, no man forbidding him. What a promise and, and what an assurance that we can declare the message that God has given us. We can preach the kingdom of God and teach those things that concern our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence. Confidence. And so I must ask teenagers, how is your message? Maybe if you go to a public school or you go to a Christian school or maybe you're homeschooled and maybe you have friends in the neighborhood or maybe next door neighbors and such. Maybe you play sports with friends or shoot hoops or maybe kick a soccer ball around. How is your message? Basically, how is your testimony? What kind of things are you declaring to your friends? And, and next I would say, parents, how is our message? And, and I've just started experiencing this just three months into being a parent. I've got a long ways to go. <laughs> We've got a long ways to go. I'm, I'm figuring things out, but it's a very slow process. And at night, you know, when the baby wakes up and you, you just do the old, uh, at least as the men, I, I, someone better help me out here. When, when the baby wakes up, you just kind of start fake snoring and acting like you're still asleep. Can I please get a witness, somebody in the room? Someone going to help me out here. I'm learning things, and those are not the things that I'm learning. Those are just little things on the side. But, but parents, what is our message like? What an opportunity to to raise the next generation of Christians for the cause of Christ. What an opportunity to send, to send the next generation out. And, and what a blessing to see so many young people in here and, and college students, what's your message like? And university students, what's your message like? And, and missionary, how is my message? What is my message like? As I take the Bible to the country of Uganda, what is my message like? Am I going to compromise on, on what this book says? And Am I, am I going to give up the, 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 the things of the faith that we hold to and the things that we hold strong? Grandmas and grandpas, how is your message tonight? I'm so thankful for the two sets of godly grandparents that, that God gave me. On my dad's side and on my mom's side. On my mom's side, her dad has passed away. Passed away while I was in Bible college and from cancer. And, but what a godly heritage. As, they, as they, 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 they guided the ship into the right direction to get, to get our families in church. They were the first generation of Christians in our family. And what an opportunity if you're a grandma and grandpa tonight to be a testimony and example to your grandchildren and the kids that are, that are walking around this church and they see that, hey, that person over there, and I don't mean this by any offense, but that person over there with, with the gray hair and the white hair, 
They've stayed faithful to God. They've stayed faithful to church. They haven't given up. And maybe they don't think about all the things that maybe I could think about or you could think about as in all of the years of the trials and discouragements and testing times that you've gone through. And we as the next generation can sit at your feet and learn something. We can open up our ears and we can learn as opposed to always talking and and jabbering and thinking that we have it all together because we don't. The next generation doesn't have it all together. But we need godly grandparents and grandmas to stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to hold to the faith and I'm going to keep the message strong. Stephen's message earned a standing ovation. Number two, Stephen's heavenly view earned a standing ovation. Verse number 55, back in Acts chapter number 7. Stephen's heavenly view earned a standing ovation. Verse number 55 says, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He looked up steadfastly into heaven. Now, obviously, Stephen was given some kind of a gift. Now, I don't know if it was like a screen like this. He was able to see maybe a screen in the sky or maybe the clouds opened up. Look what it says. It says that he, was, that, that, uh, he looks, looked up steadfastly into heaven. That preposition there, into, kind of signifies that he was able to at least see into heaven, maybe into the throne room for what it says next in the verse that he saw Jesus standing. Obviously, Jesus is set down at the right hand of the throne of God as we read in in the book of Hebrews. But I'm thinking that, I mean, here's Stephen. Okay, picture this. He's, he's just preached the message that God has given to him. He's probably exhausted. He's probably tired. He's probably sweating. He's, he's probably thirsty. He's probably hungry. Here he is. He's probably standing out in the open in the town square. And the, the sun's probably there. And he's preaching this message. And there's a lot of people all around. And I mean, he has delivered a powerful message. You know, sometimes when, when you're teaching, maybe in Sunday school or a class, maybe, that, I mean, that, that, that's a big thing. But I mean, when you preach or maybe when you get up in front of a lot of people and you expel a lot of energy and you're walking around, maybe whatever the case is, I mean, you get exhausted, you get tired, you just, you get weary. Physically speaking, you get, you get, you get exhausted. And here's Stephen, he's just preached a powerful message. One of the most powerful in the Bible. And I'm sure that as he's looking around and, and he's, he's delivering this message, he probably, maybe in the timeline around verse 30 or verse 40, he starts seeing some people starting to, starting to stir. They're starting to get a little frustrated. They're starting to think, man, when is this guy going to get done? I'm ready to, you know, and they start seeing fists, he starts seeing fists starting to clench. And, and then the Bible says that they gnashed on him with their teeth. He starts seeing these people rush on him. Here he is, he now finishes the message. He says, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Ye do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did. And they rush on him and they, they drag him out of the city. Here's Stephen. He's just, he's just preached the message that God gave him. He's done nothing wrong. He's just, he's just spent so much time delivering this message that the people needed to hear. And, and the stones begin to rain down on Stephen. And they begin to stone him. And if you know anything about stoning, the amount of force and the amount of, the amount of anger and hatred that must have been put into those stones that they were throwing at Stephen to kill him, and here's Stephen, he probably gets hit one with on the forehead and blood probably begins to trickle down his forehead and maybe one hits him on his leg and now he's on the ground and the stones are just raining down on Stephen. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He, he probably feels that the end is near. And I mean, I mean, it's just from every angle, it looks like this is it. It looks like this is the end. The stones are raining down and the people are probably angry. The mob is formed and they're just taking pot shots at Stephen. 
And instead of looking around at all of the things that were happening in the surroundings and the difficulties and the discouragements and the tests and the trials and the things that maybe were now right there currently in his life, instead of looking around, the Bible says he looked up. He looked up, but he didn't just look up. The Bible says he looked up steadfast. It means his gaze was fixed. Nothing else around him. Nothing else behind him. Nothing else over here in front of him. Didn't matter. His gaze was fixed. He looked up steadfastly in death. And at his darkest moment, when he didn't think that he could go on any longer, the only approval that Stephen needed was the very one who came down to earth and lived a perfect sinless life in a robe of flesh who died on the cross for Stephen and for the people who were stoning him. That's the only approval Stephen needed. And in our own lives, maybe there's something that's going on in your life right now, and I don't know. Many of you I've, I'm going to meet for the very first time after the service. I've, I've never met most of you. Brother Fred was actually on our missions trip when we went to Uganda in 2013, so I know the Tillmans very well. They're very dear to my heart. But many of you, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know the difficulties that you're going through right now and the trials that you're going through right now. Only God knows and, and only you know. And maybe only a select group of people in your family circle, your friend circle know. But if I can assure you with this, that maybe in your darkest hour and you think, all of, these, all of this time, all of these years I've spent serving God and I've been faithful to Him and I've, I've put in the time on Saturdays, I've gone door knocking, I've tried to read the Word of God every day and I've tried to have a good prayer life and I go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and any time the doors are open and God's put this now into my life and a family member has cancer or a family member's just passed away or maybe a friend's betrayed me or a family's betrayed me and you don't think you can take another step if you've stayed faithful to this book and you've stayed faithful to God. Just look up. See Jesus standing. Stephen's heavenly view earned a standing ovation. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, And He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And Hebrews 12.2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, any other distraction or discouragement will be meaningless. Yes, it may affect us, and yes, we may be, we may be tormented, and sometimes we may feel like that it's, it's, we can't go on anymore. But if we just keep our eyes on Jesus, everything else will slowly fade away. Listen to the lyrics of this chorus called, Look to God. The, the song goes, Look to God. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. You're not alone. See the one who will give you courage to press on, look to God. You think, I, I don't think I can go on one more step. And, and we'll move on to the next point in just a moment. But for, for, for the people here tonight who have, who have been in church for so many years and, and they've read the Word of God for so many years and they've stayed faithful for so many years and maybe 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, 35 years, whatever the case is, then I encourage you with this, that the next generation that's coming up behind you needs to see faithful Christians living until they're 75 and 85 or until the Lord calls them home however long you have here on this earth. 55 and 45. 
The next generation needs to see people who are, who are lifting high the faith and holding strong to the Word of God. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. Stephen's heavenly view earned a standing ovation. Number three, Stephen's death earned a standing ovation. Stephen's death earned a standing ovation. Verse number 60, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. However, it's not just that he died. It was the way that he died. Here's Stephen. He's innocent. He's just preached the message that God's given him. And now he's being stoned to death. He's dragged out of the city now being stoned to death. He's laying down his life for the cause of Christ. It was just a message. That's all it was. I mean, it wasn't anything like a, like a long life or maybe if you look back several chapters prior, it's not like he had a three and a half year earthly ministry as Jesus did. It was just for one moment that he, that he preached a message that God had given him. He just stayed faithful to what God wanted him to do for that very moment in time. And now it was all going to fade away because he was going to die. Oh, but this death, it reminds me of someone else's death. Someone else who was innocent. Someone else who was just fulfilling what his father, what God wanted him to do in his three and a half years of earthly ministry. This death very, very similar to the death of Stephen's Savior. We as Christians living here in North America, in the country of Canada, we may never experience maybe persecution by death. I don't know. I mean, I just, I've been coming back, and in the United States, it's looking pretty bad down in the United States when it comes to religious liberties. And maybe up here in Canada, it's getting that way too, but maybe we experience different forms of persecution. Maybe people will, will at work, maybe they'll say, oh, there, here comes the Christian again. Here comes, here comes the Bible thumper. At my work in Mountain View, I was known as the missionary because they knew that God had called me to go to the country of Uganda. Boy, I loved being called that, the missionary. It was exciting. Loved being called that. But maybe the form of persecution will be different for you. Maybe at work, maybe it's just, you know, you open your Bible at work and maybe you read your Bible. Maybe you, maybe you pray for your food in public and maybe people will scoff at that or they'll look down upon that and but around the world there's many Christians who are sacrificing their life for the cause of Christ they're being thrown into prisons and their uh, uh, fathers are being hauled off from their families and mothers are being taken from their families and in, even in some countries the people are being killed for what they believe in and just standing for this book something that seems so very simple but oh so very powerful and Stephen's death earned a standing ovation from Jesus Ephesians 6, 10-11 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There just has to be a part in us as Christians that we're going to stand for God no matter what happens, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how discouraging maybe our surroundings in our country gets. And maybe if the persecution comes, there just has to be something in us that determines that we will stand for Jesus no matter what. And lastly, Stephen's final words earned a standing ovation. Stephen's final words earned a standing ovation. Verse number 60 again. It says, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. As the rocks and the stones were raining down on Stephen and as his life was literally being taken from him by this mob, these people... He still had the spirituality 
forgive these people for what they were doing to them. I still have a difficult time comprehending that. 22-year-old, I mean, man, when someone calls me something, I mean, you know, you're just ready to go. You know, I'm not ready to forgive. I'm ready to go. Let's go out back to the, wood, the woodshed out here out back and let's go at it. You know, I, I don't know how he was able to do this. Somehow he was able to forgive these people. But I can't help but think that maybe, just maybe, as Stephen was about to die, maybe the thought came into his mind and maybe he wasn't there at Calvary and maybe he wasn't there at Golgotha and maybe he wasn't there at the tomb and, and maybe he didn't necessarily hear the account word for word, but I'm sure he had to have heard what happened in Luke chapter number 23 and verse number 34, at least from the people who were standing around the cross. And that verse says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And just as Jesus was able to forgive the very ones who, were pounding, who pounded the nails into His hands and, and, and planted the crown of thorns into His head and, and pierced His side and whipped Him and spat on Him and plucked His beard from Him and, and punched Him and smote Him and called Him names and, and chastised Him, just as, just as Jesus experienced all that, Stephen was able to forgive the very people who were throwing stones at Stephen to kill him. And I don't know what, what, what's going on in your life. I know for me personally, it's very difficult for me to forgive. I'm just being honest. And maybe the, the other side of the coin of that is seeking the forgiveness. That's really difficult to do. And just being married for 15 months, I'm really figuring that out. Seeking the forgiveness. Now you have been there, done that, and got an entire closet full of t-shirts of the seeking the forgiveness part. You know, something goes wrong in the house, or maybe I accidentally say something to my wife that I don't think about before I say it. I go, insert, foot into mouth moment. It's very difficult to then retract it and go seek forgiveness. That's difficult for me. But how are we going to earn a standing ovation from Jesus? How are we going to get Jesus' approval? We forgive. Or we seek forgiveness. And I don't know what's happened in your life. Maybe you're holding on to something from 30 years ago or 40 years ago or maybe just yesterday or maybe a week ago and you're just, I don't know how I can forgive this person. He, he, he did me wrong. And I don't know how I can forgive this family member who's betrayed me or this friend who's betrayed me. I don't know how I can let go. If we're going to get Jesus' approval, we must. Forgive. We must seek forgiveness when we've done wrong. Matthew 6 and verse 15, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How do we get a standing ovation from Jesus? We preach our message. That message is found in John chapter 3, verse number 16, and we preach that message by the pattern found in Matthew 20 and 18 to 20. The Great Commission. Secondly, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on heavenly things. I think about Philippians 4.8 and, and that entire list of, uh, of true, honest, just, pure. I know I'm getting them out of order, but lovely. And if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things and of good report. Thinking about, may, maybe there's something in our life that we're just, we're not thinking about the right thing. And maybe it's something, maybe it is something sinful. Maybe it's something immoral. Maybe it's just something that's distracting us. It's a stumbling block. It's a besetting sin. And, and we, it, just, it, it has all of our time, and we're not thinking about heavenly things. We're not thinking about reaching souls for the, for the cause of Christ. And we're not thinking about church and, and the Bible and our daily devotions and our prayer time. Maybe we just need to start thinking about heavenly things. 
And next, if need be, we must be willing to die for what we believe in or suffer persecution for what we believe in. Lastly, we need to be ready and willing to forgive those who do us wrong or seek forgiveness. What better blessing and honor to receive a standing ovation 